Welcome to Therapy with Millennials, a podcast where we take our late night talks, aka our own therapy sessions, and put them on record for you to hear. We take a looser definition of therapy, so if you need to seek professional help, please do so. Our main goal is that in sharing our stories, you will relieve some of your tension and you will relate to us. So join us on this journey. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and join this listenership. And it helps us know how to get better. So please talk back to us. Hello and welcome back to Therapy with Millennials. I'm one of your hosts, Malia, and we hope that you're having a wonderful Friday. So for those of you who don't know, we've been doing a recap series and our recap series is literally what it sounds like. We are going back to our previous seasons, to previous episodes, to gain some knowledge and inspiration for the current season. When I look back at this episode, one of the main things I'm learning is to have a lot of mercy for myself. When I listen back, I hear all these things that I could have said or should have said or all this other stuff. And I think the main thing that I'm really trying to do with this series in particular is to have a lot of grace for, you know, that version of you did the best that she could with the knowledge that she had. And to judge her with the hindsight that you have now is would be unfair. So I'd say have a little bit more mercy for yourselves at, when you look back at your previous selves and are trying to grow and understand like, why did I do that? Like that's the, that's the thought that I have sometimes is like, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? And so have grace for that version of you. I think my takeaway for the future, when I listened to this episode, I was introspective because I needed to do this episode. I don't know if I was introspective for myself. In the future, I just really want to care about me and not care about other people opinions or view of me doing self-care. I really want to take care of myself in a healthy way. And if that means I need to do less, or if that means I need to have uncomfortable conversations, or if that means I need to have more focus on my spiritual life, then I want to do those things. But I want to take care of myself better in the years to come. And I hope that you guys will take care of yourselves well in the years to come. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the episode and for Brittany's closer. Take care. Bye, guys. So last week, um, if you listened, you heard about my type, my Enneagram type, which is seven and all the things with that. Fabulousness. <laughs> the week before that, we went over briefly types one through nine of the Enneagram. So for this episode, I'm not going to go over that too much. Um, so make sure you go back to those episodes and understand the Enneagram a little bit more and then come back to type two with me and Malia. That is the type we're discussing today because Miss Malia is an Enneagram type two. Ta-da! <laughs> so starting off with Enneagram type two. We're going to go over a little bit with uh, the Enneagram types. You have your core fear, your core desire, core weakness, and core longing. Core fear for a type two is being worthless, needy, inconsequential, dispensable, or unworthy of being loved. Their core desire is to be loved and wanted. Uh, they have a self-image of I am helpful, caring, warm, nurturing, uh, demonstrative, and considerate. This is a self-image they want to portray. And their core weakness is pride, and their core longing Which is... Which I did not relate to initially when I read <laughs> that to you. Yeah. Um, I thought, honestly, guys, when I first got into Enneagram, I was like, okay, I am an eight, wing seven, or I am a three, wing two. Because I was like, there's no way that pride is my issue. <laughs> <laughs> and it tells you a little bit. <laughs> and then the core 
longing is to hear you are wanted and loved for just being you. So right off the bat, how do those sound to you? Pretty accurate. Yeah, the only one that, I mean, I know what it means now, but the only one that I didn't, for real, for real, for a long time, it took me a really long time to understand was the, the core sin of pride. Mm -hmm. So pride is not just, oh, I think I'm highly higher than everyone else. Because right. often that's not typically two's issue. The sense of pride, as far as the Enneagram is concerned, you know, typically twos feel other people's feelings. And we know that we have the skill, skill of feeling other people's feelings. So we'll just fix everyone's problem. And we assume that since nobody else seems to have this superpower, we should be fixing all of these problems. Yeah. So it's a pridefulness of, oh, I have these gifts and these abilities that I can use to fix the world or fix your problems. So I'm going to go do that. And I was into this podcast actually recently and they were talking about twos and the podcast was like, well, is that your job to do? Like, did they ask for your help? And the two was like, well, no, but I can fix it. And she's like, well, if they didn't ask for your help, I don't know if we're supposed to be, you know, giving our, you know, assistance if they don't ask for it. And for twos, that's not even a thought. It's like, I know how to fix this. This is ah, done deal. I need 15 minutes out of my schedule and we are trying to have this done. Well, also, do you think it's, when I see it too, there's that pride aspect. Mm -hmm. But then also when you're an unhealthy two, so your objective is to take care of others, to help mm -hmm. others but you tend to not think about yourself mm. on the other side of that when you're mm -hmm. unhealthy. So I think there's a pride in that too. Yeah, that, I, that by sacrificing myself, it'll be better for everyone else. It right. never is. Right, never is. And so there's a pride in that and you end up not caring for yourself. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, you have we have our healthy sides. We go from healthy to unhealthy. And in our last episode, we kind of talked about that. But mm -hmm. then also... Um, Beth McCord on your EnneagramCoach.com. Again, we're going to have that in the description, the episode description, that link. She talks about the healthy twos and the unhealthy twos, but then the twos on autopilot. So I'm going to go over those for just a moment. Healthy twos are loving, caring, and supportive of themselves and others. They do not need constant love and affection for what they have done for someone. Instead, healthy twos know, believe, and trust that their worth comes from being Christ's beloved child. It is here that a healthy two ultimately knows that their emotional, relational, and physical needs will always be taken care of by their good shepherd. Two's on autopilot. When twos begin to forget that they are Christ's beloved child, loved, wanted, completely cared for, and cherished, they begin to move into the average levels of development. Because the two has begun to forget how loved they are in Christ, they believe they have to earn love and affection through the approval of others by being a helper, supporter, and advice giver. They may even try to create dependencies so others will constantly need and want them. In this average range, twos hide their own needs from themselves and, and others in fear that their needs will threaten their relationships. They fear that their needs will inhibit others from giving, the, giving them the affection and love that they are so desperate to receive. Sometimes we don't even know how to voice. So how do you normally feel in life? Do you feel like you're at that healthy level, autopilot? Do you feel unhealthy right now? Where are you at? Honestly, I think right now I'm unhealthy, and I don't know fully if it's entirely emotional, mental, or if it's physical, just being tired from work and stuff, life kind of changing and job kind of changing. I probably am unhealthy trying to be on autopilot. So I'm like in between autopilot and probably unhealthy probably. So what does that look like for you? You asked me last time, the autopilot. What does the autopilot look like for you? Because we're helpers and another uh, term for twos are healers, which is also a term for ENFPs, Myers-Briggs, they're oftentimes called healers. 
um, because they have a very deep spiritual side. I can quote unquote power through. And so I can appear healthy even when I know I'm not. So like someone at church recently asked me, they're like, how are you doing? I was like, eh, okay. And like, they kind of looked at me and they're like, eh. I was like, I mean, well, if you actually have time to like actually hear this, you know, this week has been kind of sucky, but you know, I'm going to be okay. Cause I'm th thinking like in the future, I will be okay. Like it doesn't feel okay right now, but I will be okay. So then that, that person came around <laughs> to my car and like talked to me and I was like, I'm so sad. I'm always tired. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like totally unload on you. And they're like, no, it's fine. Like, I, I wanted you to tell me. And he asked me, did I feel like I, I needed to lie? And I was like, no, it, I didn't feel like I was lying. Like, honestly, I'm thinking, okay, short version of what I'm feeling. I don't feel good. But to say I'm feeling awful, I don't feel as true. Because there's other people who are actually physically sick and actually doing awful. Like, we're in the middle of COVID still right now, as far as we can see it, hopefully the vaccine is working. And so there are definitely people doing worse than me. There's also definitely people doing better than me. So for me, that still feels okay. Right. So my autopilot is like, oh, okay, I'm okay. Yeah. But like, if you really want to know, like last week was kind of hellacious, <laughs> but I will be okay. And then like the longer version is, I'm so tired. <laughs> so autopilot kind of looks like pushing through, even when you're not healthy. I think the main reason I wouldn't say I'm completely just unhealthy is a lot of cues kind of go towards dependence. And I don't feel like I'm in a place where I want to be dependent on or dependent on someone else. I feel like I'm at a point where I kind of like, I don't want to depend on anyone right now. I just want to kind of be left alone to kind of regroup because I don't, I don't really know what I want right now. And I don't even know how to ask for what I need for myself right now. So I feel like that's better than unhealth because in that place, we just don't even think about ourselves. We just go fully towards other people. And I am somewhat aware of like, I'm not doing good. I need to be focused on myself right now. I need to figure out what that means. So hopefully Christmas break will be <laughs> what leads you, what leads you to that or kind of the opposite. How do you feel yourself getting into the healthy to get into healthy from unhealth or from autopilot? Either one. So thinking about like what leads you into that and then how do you get out of that? Maybe take both of those questions. Okay. So I think unhealth looks like always saying yes. I think it also comes from not aggressively saying no. Because twos are typically helpers, people depend on them a lot and they don't always take no as an answer. I think sometimes being aggressive with your no, not like mean with your no, there's a difference. Actually standing by my no is looks more like we're going from unhealth to autopilot. Autopilot to healthy looks like caring more for myself. So naturally I'm more, I'm very extroverted. So much so that the last time I took the Myers-Briggs test, I got a hundred percent extroversion. <laughs> and I thought I like raised my hand in class and I was like, I think I broke the test. I've never seen anyone right. get a hundred percent on introversion or extroversion. I was like, I think I broke the test. She's like, well, just take it again. So I took it again. And it was 100% again. <laughs> and I was like, well, it came out again. She looked at it, she's like, oh, wow. She's like, I've only seen like one other person get 100% on extroversion. She's like, you're definitely extroverted. Congratulations. <laughs> I just naturally get my energy typically from people. And with COVID and all that happening, I'm forced to be more secluded, one. But what I feel like that's done is I've tried to fill those empty spaces kind of with just busy work, but not actually quality time or quality like rest. Right. 
And so I think what health looks for me right now from autopilot looks like actually having spaces in my day just for myself, whether that looks like a nap, whether that looks like just writing or sketching. I sat down after work recently and I was like, I don't do any of the hobbies that I like enjoy. The only thing I really do outside of work and outside of working out is listening to music. And while I enjoy it, I also acknowledge that it's mostly a lot of times a distraction so I don't have to actually think and be in my own head. And while being in my head can sometimes be painful, I think I need to do that to process all of my stuff from yeah. 2020. I think health looks like saying no, creating space for myself, and going after things that are scary, whether they work out or not. Kind of going off of that, your one of your core fear, the core fear is the sense of worthlessness. I just want to ask you, like, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what does that look like? How does that correlate with your daily life, I guess? Like, what makes you fear that worthlessness or what makes you feel worthless? I think part of that worthlessness comes from, I think I typically have a, a pretty submissive personality. Like, I'm very boisterous. We've talked about how, like, we're both very boisterous people. I think I'm naturally very submissive, especially if I'm positive that someone is older than me. I tend to be very submissive, so in that submission, I assume that the older person is right, and just through life, I've learned that that's not always the case, mm -hmm. and so sometimes even if I feel like I have a right answer or a right decision, I'll doubt that decision because someone else that I trust or think knows more than me has given me advice, and it's like, well, you should do it this way, or you, the choice that you're making doesn't look like it's a good choice, or have you thought about it this way, and I'm like, oh, I thought I did, but maybe I should, or... Maybe I shouldn't, and it makes me question myself a lot when a lot of people that I trust are giving me advice, trying to be helpful, but it makes me doubt myself a lot. Mm. So for me, it's not a, a, a complete sense of like self-worthlessness. Like a doubting. It's like a, it, for me, it's severe doubt of like, mm. I thought I did the research, I thought I like understood this. Well, they obviously have to know more than me, like they're, they're older, they're wiser than me. So I have to at least consider. What do you do when you feel like that? How do you combat that? That doubt? I think in the past I just assumed that the other person was right and I, and I did what they told me to do. Yeah. Now I'm learning that I have to live with my own choices. So specifically what I'm thinking of just off the top of my head is like religion. I grew up moderately conservative in my religious faith. I would consider myself probably liberal, spiritually speaking. And my journey to getting there besides my when I lost faith, was a journey of deciding just because I'm becoming more progressive does not mean that I'm dropping the knowledge that I've gained in the past. Right. Like just because I chose something else does not mean I don't have respect for what I've learned in the past. And I think it took me so long to get to that point because religious people in general are either or. So I felt like an intense pressure to pick one or the other. And on the one hand, it's like my past, people who like helped raise me, who helped make me who I am. And then on this other hand is like my future, people who are contributing to my life now, who are challenging me in my faith now. And I felt like I had to pick. And now I'm like, I don't have to pick. They're both important to me. They're important in different ways. I disagree with both of them. <laughs> but I appreciate both of them. So I think it's it's understanding that it doesn't have to be either or and even if it is having enough respect for myself that like I told me and my mom were having a conversation about this kind of stuff and like disagreeing and agreeing I'm like listen at the end of the day mom I'm gonna have to go to heaven or hell off of my life right, right. <laughs> I'm not going to heaven or hell off of 
what this other person told me to do and what this other person told me to do. Like God's going to come to me, come at me with what I, what I did. And I can't be like, well, so-and-so told me to do this. And then this other person told me to do like, that's not going to work. And that like, people might be saying like, that's religious, blah, blah, blah. Even in regular life, I can't like, if you were to give me advice and I follow your advice and it goes back poorly, I can't like, can't blame me for I can't turn around and be like, well, Brittany told me to do it and that's why I failed and I should have done what I was supposed to. That's not going to work in real life either. So whether it's real life or spiritual life, it's just realizing I have to take ownership of my own stuff. If it goes poorly, then it just went poorly. Like, you know, life doesn't always go well. We see that based off of the coronavirus. <laughs> like, you can have all the greatest plans and you can plan out your contingency plan and contingency plan. Y'all, honestly, I'm on plan Q. I just plan for after Q, Z squared. So it sounds like with that too, that kind of comes from your your desire to be loved and wanted. Mm -hmm. So you listen to that advice that was given to you and follow it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your that desire leads you to want to, that's why you're known as the helper to mm -hmm. help other people. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like using that, do you feel that, or do you see others as needy that need your help or feel like you're being used in that sense? I think in the past, more of the pridefulness was coming out of where I, I internally, I, I don't think I said outwardly, but internally I always had this thing of, well, you have to help. Like they came to you for a reason. Mm. And even like, I think spiritually, I like guilt myself into, well, they, they chose you out of all these other people who are, who are smarter than you or older than you and wiser than you. So you have to give. like God chose you. Even God rested. Like right. he, he would separate from the people and be like, listen, I've given to you for four hours. I've preached to you for like three. Like I'm going on the mountain and we're going to pray and <laughs> take a nap. God bless our Lord who leaves the mass. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I, I think part of that in the past has been, well, they obviously need me. And now I think I'm so, I guess, depleted from multiple sources, work and personal life and family life. I'm so depleted that a lot of things feel like being used. And I don't think that that's the case, but like everything kind of feels like I'm being used because part of the two, and we've talked about of my, like my sixth sense, I always feel that all the time. So even when people don't ask me for things, I still feel it and I know that they need it. And so I, I feel like you, I feel used even when no one's asking for anything. So I think I'm in a place because I'm so depleted that I feel used even when no one's asking me for anything right now. So it, everything kind of feels used because I'm on empty. So when I'm healthier, it, it just kind of feels like, oh, I can just fix this because I know how to fix it. Right now, everything kind of feels like being used. Typically, I even right now, there's people who I notice, I feel more used by that person than that actually need me. Or this person just wants to be in my presence. This person's using me. In the pulling back part of trying to care for myself, I'm starting to notice more of what actually feels like being used by someone and what actually feels like being with someone. There's a difference. So with that, again, I'm going to ask the, how do you combat that thing? Is it just saying no to things? Like, how do you combat feeling used? Or do you think like, actually they are using you? Like, you know what I mean? Do you feel, is it just, you feel that you're being used and you know, you're not actually being used? Hmm. Or do you think that they are actually using you? I think for me, it's a combination of both. I think because my sixth sense is so strong and I feel it anyway, I'm not just having to say no to the other person. I'm having to say no to myself first. So when the other person asks me, yeah, it's like I'm saying no twice already. And then typically people who are very adamant about having stuff done, 
they'll ask you more than once. And I typically won't say no to someone more than once. I mean, kind of, yeah, kind of both. It's, it feels like both. But I'm starting to realize people, specific people, who I feel more used by. And people who just, I enjoy being with. And who naturally just need something from me. Mm. It, it does feel different, though. It does feel very different internally. What do you do then to com combat the feeling used? Being alone, which is weird because I naturally don't want to be alone, but I'm noticing more recently, it, to, to the point that my roommates have even been commenting on it, you, know, you spend a lot of time in your room alone. And like usually I have like an open-door policy, but like right now I'm like, listen, if my door is off, closed and the lights are off, like don't come in there. Like I just want to be alone. So right now it looks like separation and also it looks like doing things that I enjoy that I know other people either don't enjoy or are not good at. I've started crocheting again. I'm hoping to get back into sketching over the Christmas holiday. So back into some of those, some of those hobbies. Yeah, that those hobbies that I dropped. So leaning towards more self-care than mm -hmm. isolation. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is the best thing about your type to you? I really do think it's the sixth sense because I feel like nobody else has that. I feel like the closest type that's to a two is probably a nine. But what I'm jealous of nines for is they have the ability to, to totally be like, yes or no. They they can detach themselves enough that connected to the pain so much that they feel a burden to have to do something about it. So I, I think our twos and nines ability to just automatically know and understand is really cool. And I, I think initially when I was younger, I assumed everyone had that power. I'm like, oh, if we're all like caring for each other, we just know all the things. And you and someone else recently were like, yeah, we don't get that. Well, recently I've learned that I know when someone, I think you have a sixth sense of knowing when someone is in a certain emotional state and then knowing how to respond to that. Now I know when someone is in a certain emotional state, but I don't know how to respond to that. I just respond to that the way I would respond to anything, which uh, is usually just to ignore it and uh, let them have their own way. But sometimes people don't need that. Uh -huh. So I, I think you know how to respond to it as mm. well. And then I think another part of our type, especially with, so I winged three and we'll, at some point we'll get into that a little bit more. But what that means, at least for me, is I wing more three means I'm a little more intense. Mm or driven. So I like that because once I have the goal set out, I'm not the best planner, but once I have the goal set out, I'm like, okay, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna do this. Like even with the podcast recently, we were sitting down and we were like, so for the next three to five months, right. <laughs> we're gonna do such and such and such and such and such and such. And the sitting down part was a little hard. But like once I sat down and figured out, okay, this is what I wanna be discussing. This is the way I want our podcast to start going. This is where I want like, me to be going, this is where I want you to be going, and this is where I want our friendship to be going, separate and apart from this podcast. Because mm -hmm. that matters. And I, as far as my tuness and how that affects life, I think it, it definitely affects the podcast, mm -hmm. too. Something that I, I, when we first got started, I was a little concerned about is whether our friendship would feel the same while we were doing this than when we were, like, living our normal lives. And I think that this is, doing the podcast for me, and no, as especially as a two, is making me be more intentional with you in, in our daily lives because I refuse to be fake on this podcast. Right. But I also want to know where you're at before we get to the mic. So I, I feel like it's making me more intentional of are we actually okay before we come here? It doesn't mean that I have to be okay. It doesn't mean you have to be okay because we've agreed that, you know, if we're upset and we're not good, we're not going to lie. Right, right. But it makes me, I feel more intentional to be good with you 
before we come to the mic. So I think we'll go ahead and we'll talk about that a little bit. You discussed the wings. We discussed my wings in the last episode, but also I wanted to hit on, you also have a growth line and a stress line. Hmm. So not only do you have the wings, uh, the wings are the numbers that are next to you in the circle of one through nine. Mm-hmm. So it can only, for you, for example, it can only be one or three. Yeah. But also you have a growth or a stress line. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, for you, is a four is your growth line, and mm-hmm. then eight is your stress line. I'm going to read from a little Instagram here. For two wing, we're going to go with the wings first. There's two wing one, and there's some bullet points here. Those might be more organized, structure and selflessly serve others. Mm. And then there's a two wing three who seeks respect from others is social and focused on goals. Mm-hmm. And you've already discussed that you lean a little bit more towards two wing three, right? Mm-hmm. So dive a little bit deeper and talk about like how that looks for you. Mm. Another way of describing wing one and wing three is also typically wing ones are more introverted and wing threes are more extroverted. That's not always the case, but just based off of the research that I've done, that's typically the way it is. So especially with my extroversion, I definitely mean wing more three. For me, I feel like I believe that we use both wings. How that uh, displays itself in my actual life is I feel like in my personal life, how I prefer to think even in my head and how my friend experienced me, my better version is wing three. More of my drivenness, more of my, okay, where are we going? I want to know where we're all going. Like I'm at a point now, because codependency is, is, is an unhealthy two trait. I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, you don't have to be with me physically, but like, where are you going? Where am I going? Where are we going for the next year? Where are we going for the next two years? Which scares a seven. <laughs> scares a seven. <laughs> Uh, I might have done some damage to Brittany. No, I can honestly answer now. Like we're talking about this podcast, and she's like, "What if we like move away at some point?" I'm like, "We'll talk about that when we come to it." <laughs> I was like, "I'm not prepared for that yet." And so I, I plan things very loosely. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, "Okay, in three years, do you see yourself being with a person?" Yes, I still see. You know, as long as you or I do anything hellacious to each other, right? <laughs> I see us still being friends in three years. Uh-huh. So, like, I, I plan out like that. Wing ones typically are more actual planners. Like, mm-hmm. when you think of people who have actual planners, who have their to-do tasks for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year, those, that's more wing one. And I'm more like that at work. Okay. It's more of my perfectionist side of yeah, I was going to ask, how is it different with work and relationships? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, the three is less of a perfectionist. So I'm not necessarily concerned that it looks right. I'm concerned that you're honest with me and that we're moving towards something. Right. With my wing oneness, it comes out more on my job because it's less about how you feel, even though I'm in the beginning. It's less about how you feel. It's more about that I'm correct and doing something correctly. And there's a certain way that I have to do some things at work that are different from regular life. Like if we're going to meet up at a restaurant, it doesn't necessarily matter what restaurant it is as long as we both end up figuring out that we're going to that restaurant. Mm-hmm. With like work, I have to do certain things at certain times in a certain way and it's got to be done in that order or I'm not doing a good job. Okay. So that's how it comes out more for me with the wing one and wing three. When you're in growth, when you're excelling or doing mm-hmm. well, you can lean towards four. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram 2 can become more aware of their emotions and needs like the Enneagram 4. When you're stressed and stressed, the Enneagram 2 can be, become more aggressive and sharp 
with their tongue, especially if they feel like they have lost control. Do those sound pretty accurate to oh, you? Oh, yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Especially recently, the last two weeks. Yeah. I'm, I'm past the point of wanting to be inspirational or creative or sometimes even kind. I'm like, I just want the deep done. I want it done correctly. I want it done now. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as you can tell, I'm very aware of this, and I know I need to see my own professional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next part, I'm just going to go through a few different things, and I want you to hit on the ones that stand out to you the most or kind of mm. expand on those a little bit. Okay. So, what annoys an Enneagram 2? <laughs> we have when people... <laughs> Sorry, I thought of something immediately. Uh, okay, go ahead. What annoys an Enneagram 2? There's when people aren't appreciative, when people brag about themselves, when people take advantage of me, asking for my advice and then not following through. Oh my god. <laughs> when words don't match actions, and when, uh... people don't, when people don't respond, and then just rude people. Which one? I expect it It annoys me when people take advantage of me, but kind of like I mentioned previously, it's not even, a lot of times I know it's not people intentionally taking advantage of me. I just know, especially recently, I'm giving out of a place of completion. So it feels like I'm, it feels internally like I'm giving a lot more than what the person's asking for. That's a low grade one. (laughs) The one that I was like, oh yeah. Asking for my advice and then not following through. And okay, that sounds so some of you are like, oh, we're connecting with the two's pride in that one. And yes, but not for me, not the reason necessarily that you're thinking of. I don't, you don't have to take my advice. You just have to stick with whatever you decide to go with. And I don't do well, <laughs> and Brittany knows this firsthand, when people go back and forth or talk about the same thing multiple times, I'm like, but didn't we discuss this? And then I'm like, okay, they need to process. I'm like listening. And I'm like, okay, still sounds the same. My advice doesn't change. Okay, so what are we doing here? <laughs> I, I struggle because I'm like, I mean, you don't, for me personally, you don't even have to take my advice. Take whatever connected with you and follow through with it. So the following through part is the part that I really struggle with. That one for me and the words don't match your actions. That one, and this is going to sound kind of harsh, feels like lying to me. I've dealt with someone who has done that to me a lot to the point that I started to question myself and whether my motives were good and pure. And it not only felt like lying, but it felt like manipulation. And I don't deal well with that. (laughs) And so I would literally rather you tell me nothing or you tell me something that I really don't want to hear. Like for instance, if Brittany is trying to decide between going somewhere very, very far away or staying here, I would rather her, instead of like, if I'm trying to advise her and be like, you know, I really wish she wouldn't go, but if you really need to go, then you should go. I prefer to her to tell me she doesn't know which one she's picking than to tell me she's going with one or the other. Because then I'll believe that you have chosen that answer. And a lot of times for you and for other people, you're still processing what you're going to do. So it feels sometimes like a lie, even though it's not a lie, but I would rather people tell me nothing or tell me that they're going to pick something and stick with it. Because when it goes back and forth, it feels like, okay, I'm going to, cause, cause I'm, I'm, I'm deeply loyal internally. I'm very, very loyal. I'm like, okay, so we're going to Israel. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're going to Israel. And then you come back to me and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to Israel. So now I'm like, Hey, we're not going to Israel. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so she's not going to Israel. And I'll, I'll defend you to other people and be like, she's not going. And they're like, now we're going. <laughs> and it's definite. And I'm like, well, now I don't know what to do. 
which is not the case with Israel, but like, for example, like, I, I would just prefer for someone to tell me nothing at all. Right. Or to tell me to not advise them just to listen. Then for them to ask me, not follow through, not even on my advice, but whatever they decided, and then change their mind. Because that feels very fickle and kind of like betrayal to me. Like, did you tell me the truth the first time? Is what I wonder in my head. But are we all, all allowed to change our mind? Like, we can change our mind if we, like, this was the decision that we had made. <laughs> and then we've changed our mind. And so now we're telling you, okay, I did make this decision, but then I've changed my mind now. So you'd rather not hear the process at all. You'd rather just hear, this is the decision. No, I, I, I want to hear the process. I think now, I think I used to believe people the first time they told me something. And now I don't. Now I'm just like, until they're actually doing what they said they were going to do, I don't put all of myself into that yet. If you're looking for a new job and you tell me, hey, I really want this job. I really want this job. I really want this job. I'll just kind of look at you and be like, yeah, you really want this job. And if you need something from me, I'll, I'll give it to you. But I don't believe in the job until you actually are maybe on the third round of interviews with that job. Like, I'm not fully invested anymore in, like, people who are like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm like, okay, cool. You're going to go do the thing. Go ahead. But I'm not like, oh, she's going to go do the thing. And I have the t-shirt and the hat. <laughs> like, she's going here. <laughs> I do. I wait till like, you've got the job or you're in the third round of interviews. Like, I don't get as attached to people's process as I used to. I think I, I used to get too attached at the beginning. When people are still processing. You were like really in it with them. I was really in it. I was like, oh, we're going to, I'm like, we, as you can tell too, <laughs> we're going to go do the thing. <laughs> so I think I got too attached in the beginning when people are still processing. I'm like, now I'm just like, okay, cool. We're going to go do that. All right. So I'm also going to, again, you talk about where, you know, these things that hit you. You talked about my best and worst earlier and I have your strengths and then areas for growth. Mm -hmm. And strengths are supportive and encouraging. Mm -hmm. Always there. Recognizes needs of others, focused on building, mm -hmm. on building relationships, sorry, empathetic and sincere. And then areas for growth, needs approval from others, struggles with asking for help, can't handle criticism, gives to receive. Now, I feel like you handle criticism pretty well. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And then I don't get the sense that you need approval from others. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like, okay, so this is one of the things, so this is, this is a key point for those of you listening. Enneagram, love language, MBTI, any of the things that we're doing, not all of it's going to connect. Right, right, right. And one of the things that's big, if you start reading Enneagram for twos, is that you need approval or, or appreciation from other people. That part of that type, I really don't connect with. Honestly, the thing that I I need from others is going back to the loyalty idea. I oftentimes feel, and I have said to Brittany multiple times, and I've seen her face fall when I've said it, because I didn't mean it the way she took it. Oftentimes, I feel like I love people, and I'm more loyal to people than they are going to be to me. And that feels very heartbreaking a lot of times. And I think the reason I feel that way a lot of times is because I'm going back to previously too invested in a processing part of a relationship or too invested with someone who is not a deep friend versus an acquaintance versus just like a stranger that like I care about for 15 minutes and then I need to release. I struggle with releasing. For me, I struggle more with the asking for help. Criticism is not that bad. I'd rather someone tell me. And that's actually something that I'm really wanting. But that's more of a three thing than a one thing. Ones really do struggle 
but being criticized and corrected. Right. So that's more of a, a win kind of thing. I don't think I do that physically, but I think I might do that emotionally. Like I might give a little extra to someone hoping that they'll give it back to me and they don't. Yeah. And then I end up being disappointed. I've learned a lot lately that, so I mistyped as a two in the beginning, but I still relate to a lot of different two things like saying yes to everything. And then also I've realized a lot recently is that I'll give apologies, hoping that I get an apology in return. Usually in an argument, I know that we were both wrong, or even if I'm not wrong, mm -hmm. or I don't think I'm wrong, I still apologize expecting an apology in return a lot of times <laughs> you're a better person than me <laughs> i am not apologizing for anything <laughs> which might be a get a price <laughs> but like i listen my mother taught me early she's like first of all you apologize so i do apologize when i when i know that i'm wrong or when i think that i'm wrong but if i know i'm not wrong i'm willing to come to the table but i ain't apologizing for nothing <laughs> that i didn't know i didn't do no that's good actually i i want to be a little bit more like that as well I relate to two out of three, two out of four. And what about your strength? Supportive and encouraging, I try to be. I hope I think you are. Recognizes needs of others all the time. Yeah. To the annoying. point that sometimes internally it's annoying. Focus on building others most of the time, myself not so much. Empathetic and sincere. Empathetic all the time, sincere depending on my own, to be fully honest. But yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty true. What's it like to be a two? Helping others makes me feel worthy of love. I have no idea what I need, but a lot of ideas about what you need. Yep. <laughs> People often tell me I'm a great listener. Yeah. Why haven't they called me to go to coffee? Oh! <laughs> I felt that. I've only felt that about two people, and you were one of them. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't even you. It was you with someone else. Yeah, I felt that a while ago. And I was, it, it was weird, because I typically don't feel jealousy. Like, when my friends make new friends or connect with old friends, I'm like, yay for you! But like, you connected with a mutual friend of ours. And I was like, I felt like this instant jealousy of like, one, I wasn't invited. Two, <laughs> like, why didn't either of them think of me? And three, I was like, oh, we gotta fix this. <laughs> I'm like that as well. That jealousy obsessiveness that I thought about. Um, I'm more comfortable giving than receiving. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally and physically. I have extra snacks in my bag. Yes! I totally have the mom bag. Like, right now I don't have it, but typically my backpack is I feel rich. like that's LJ. Oh, that is LJ! I excel at hospitality. Uh, yes. I yeah. would say you do. Uh, yeah. I, I do. Right now I'm not able to. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's your own, your own freedom and your own space and everything, I think mm. you do. Um, I worry about being forgiven when I make mistakes. Yes. I know if I apologize that I mean it. I also know I'm the kind of person I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. So if we're arguing, our, our probably last argument that we did have, we didn't agree, but we just kind of stopped the conversation. But I only apologize for what I actually felt bad about. I didn't apologize for what I said. And you apologize technically, and I didn't really feel like you needed to because I didn't feel like you did anything wrong. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. The apologizing thing, yeah. Yeah, normally people are like, why did you apologize? This is perfect. <laughs> On my end, they're like, you didn't need to apologize. When I feel it, if I feel it, then I've got to apologize. Good. You're tenderhearted. I think that's your tenderheartedness, too. Yeah. That you're very tenderhearted. I 
that that again is my three. I'm like, I am not apologizing for anything that I know I did not do. A tough cookie. <laughs> um, and then lastly, I care a lot about what people. If they're close to me, then yes. Outsiders, not really. You know, this makes me contemplate, like, can I be a type 2 in one place and then a type 7 in another? Because a lot of times I feel like I'm a type 2 at work uh, and then a type 7 outside of work. According to my studies, <laughs> you are what you are. <laughs> but but I will say, as someone who's studying it more and really enjoys it, I do think that you can have a sensitivity to one. Because you should have already listened to Brittany's episode. And at one point, we talked about how 7s and health can go to a five. I don't relate to fives very well, but Brittany can, and she's very understanding, and I don't get that. <laughs> so I, I do think that you can be more attach yourself to a type, different types more than others. Fives and ones are hard for me sometimes because the other types, like some of the more aggressive, what are considered the aggressive types, the threes and the eights, I'm like, yeah, let's go get it done. We're gonna do the things. We're gonna fight for the underdog. Let's go. And like some of the, like the four sixes and like nines sometimes to me can seem mellow, mm. very mellow, but sometimes I worry about them, whether they're being heard. So I want to protect them, but fives and ones hit me in a weird way Yeah, because I think in part it's because I lean towards one at work and I lean towards one in stress mm. typically. That's not always the case with your wings, guys. But for me, I tend to lean more towards one at work and in stress. So it's hard for me to relate to, to people who are always in that mindset. Mm -hmm. And then also, fives are very detached, and I'm very relational. And I don't know how to love someone who's detached. Gotcha. And I've learned that, and I'm trying to learn it better because, like, people who I really care about are, are fives. My godfathers are five. My godsisters are five. Someone else that I love is a five, but it's really hard Enneagram wise to relate to them. And other ways I can relate to them, but like the being detached part is really, really hard. I still feel like, I mean, you can be whatever you want to be. I still feel like you're very strongly a seven, but I think you do relate to twos very well. Yeah. Lastly, we're going to do some of the same questions that we did in my episode. Okay. Uh, so some of these things we may have touched on a little bit, but you can just kind of re-answer or kind of like. Uh, yeah, clarify a little bit. How does the Enneagram help you understand yourself better? I think that the personal and emotional neglect that I feel internally, it gives language for that. Because I think initially in my head, I think, oh, you just need to power through. You need to stop being selfish. It feels very eternally selfish to be like, this other person can do it, or I'm not going to help unless they ask me to. And so actually having language for... No, that's like a, actually God-given gift that you, you see and you notice these things and you want to help and you see ways to fix it. But it's not always your job to do it. And you're going to be depleted if you keep giving and giving and not receiving anything or take breaks. So it gives me a language for feelings that I feel pretty regularly and that they're valid for me. So I like that part. Nice. How about with your friends? It forces me to be more sympathetic to my ones and fives <laughs> in my life. <laughs> And even to, to my sevens, like, I enjoy sevens, but something something that it gave me language for is sometimes during the processing with you, the going back and forth was kind of like whiplashy for me. Yeah, yeah. Before you even took the test, I thought that you were a seven. And so treating you in my head like a seven before I knew you were a seven made that whole back and forthness 
so much better for me. I don't know if it felt different for you, but like it felt better to me because it did feel very whiplashy for me, but I was able to like enjoy your like, oh, this is just the way she processes the world. <laughs> okay, it feels very whiplashy for me too. <laughs> it created space for like, don't try to change her, just love her and listen to her. I always tell people, but ask me tomorrow. <laughs> ask me tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be like, da 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 da, but ask me tomorrow. It'll be different. <laughs> How did the Enneagram help you understand God? So there's a scripture that exactly how it said, but basically, Faith, faith without works is dead. And I think I connected too much worth to works makes your faith dead. I think that there's a large part of my faith journey where I tried to earn. Maybe that's where I feel the, the working for other people's acceptance more. Less so with people, maybe more so with God. I understand that there is a part that is extremely emotional, spiritual, that I can't explain that connects me to God. But I do feel the burden of the physical works part of it to, to, to be accepted so much so that sometimes when I'm religiously not in health, I struggle to read scripture. I struggle to be around other Christians. I struggle to even be with myself because it makes me feel guilty. So I, I feel like Enneagram has helped me understand that. And that's not about being worthy is that I'm already worthy because of what he did. Right. So you're worthy of love. Mm -hmm. Your core longing. Exactly. <laughs> Um, what are, so lastly, what are five things you need personally or spiritually with your Enneagram? Criticism? Specific criticism. I need to be forced to have more fun that I want to do because I can, I can have fun typically doing anything. I don't want to be forced to have regular. Typically I only have fun when I'm like, okay, I'm depleted. I want to, I want to have fun before I'm depleted. <laughs> I want to be able to say no and feel like I'm not hurting anyone. And that's mostly an internal thing that I have to just figure out myself. But I feel like when I say no, it bothers me so much that there's been times where I've said no to people and then said yes. And then was even angrier because of my yes. Because I knew I caved in because I felt guilt. All your no's hurt me. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, thank you for telling me. That's a criticism I can work on. Just kidding. Just kidding. You can tell me no anytime. Anytime. I want to be surprised. Don't know what that means. <laughs> and the thought of it is slightly terrifying. I want to be surprised and I want to get closer to people that I'm moderately close to. I want to get closer to those people. And I actually want to create some distance between some of the people I'm closer to so I can, we can work on fine tuning those relationships. So the podcast might be going away, guys. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Oddly enough, so when we started this podcast, I actually was feeling kind of far away from you because you had a lot of stuff, personal stuff kind of going on at the time. And part of it was just your life. Part of it was intentional on my part. I was trying to really, really not need you unless I really, really needed you because you had so much going on. And so initially when we started the podcast, I felt a lot of guilt about the podcast because I was worried that you would start to neglect other things that I considered more important than this for it. But some life stuff changed. And also you were pretty good about like making time for your family and work and for this as well, that I feel like our relationship got better and I needed you less from a needy place myself. So the time that we spend together is more quality than quantity because even when we were spending time in the past, 
even if it was a lot of quantity, it didn't really feel like a lot of quality because you were spending time with everyone. I didn't really feel like we got personal time. So actually, the podcast for me has been really because we actually had to like plan this out and talk right, to each other right. in a way. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got saying no and knowing that you're not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. Speak specific criticism. Mm-hmm. Regular fun, but before the depletion. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be surprised. And then closer to those who are a little further away from you and then some distance from the ones that you're closer to. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you again for joining us. This has Woo-hoo! been Enneagram Type 2 with Malia. Two <laughs> Also, I'm curious. So this is your question that you can uh, DM us about later. One, if you're dating or have dated a two, and you know you've dated a two, let me know what that experience has been like for you. And then two, if you're in a relationship, like non-romantic relationship with a two, what has that experience been like? All right. Good questions. So we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Therapy with Millennials. To keep up to date on our episodes, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Come follow us on Instagram at Therapy with Millennials or Twitter at T with Millennial, no S. Have any suggestions for the show or want to get in contact with us? Email us at twithmillennials at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you.